0: Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast, where our mission is leading people to find and follow Jesus. We're thrilled that you're here, and it's our hope that this message will lead you to find and follow Jesus. All right, you can take your seat and turn your Bible with with you, if you have one, to the book of Genesis chapter number 14. Excuse me, Genesis chapter number 13. Chapter number 13. I'm so glad that you're here looking forward to what God has in store this morning, and I hope once again that you were greeted on your way in and that you're able to just hear from God this morning, and if you don't have a copy of the Bible, we're going to put it up on the screen. I'd also love for you to download the Southridge app, which has a copy of the Bible, or in our lobby, we're just giving away Bibles. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. Well, you're in Genesis chapter 13. Have you noticed that life is decision driven? All of life is decision driven. Our life is filled with decisions. Some decisions that we make are good decisions. And some of us could probably share a time where we've made some bad decisions. Maybe last night your food choice was a bad decision. And now you're a little bit late to church. Maybe you bought a car. That was a bad decision. You ever gone on a date and that was a bad decision? Hopefully you're not sitting next to it. Be- no, I'll just, let's let that one go. Let's not park it there. But life has defining moments or what I call destiny decisions. A defining moment is when your life comes to an intersection, a crossroad, that that next decision that you're about to make is not just going to affect you, but it's going to affect those around you. It's going to affect your spouse. It's going to affect your children. It's going to affect your career. That's a defining moment. That's a destiny decision. Some of you this morning, I'm praying that you encounter a destiny decision, that your destiny is forever changed, where you accept Christ as your Savior, you surrender all to Him. That's a defining moment. Some of you at this church, you met a defining moment where your life was forever changed because of a moment with God. Sometimes a destiny decision is clear, though. And other times, a destiny decision is unclear. Sometimes you just know what the next right move is. It is clear as day. And you just know what you're supposed to do. You have the clarity. You just don't have the courage. Sometimes you have courage, and you'll do whatever God calls you to do. You just don't have clarity. But yet, you and I will come throughout our life to these destiny decisions. Decisions. And I'm praying that this destiny decision will have a ripple effect for good and not for bad. It was 2011. Jane and I were renting a home over by Oak Grove High School. And Williams, we could barely afford the rent on that home. And my wife sees a house that went up for sale, and they were doing an open house. And she said, after church, I want to see that house. I said, we don't have money for our rental house. I don't know why you want to go see that house because we can't afford it. Can I tell you, it was a whopping, Jacob, $480,000 for that house. it's expensive. Four bedroom, two bath house. Who could afford a house for $480,000 in 2011? I couldn't. Now I'm thinking, we should have bought as many as we could have. What are you talking about? A four bedroom, two bath house for $480,000? Oh my goodness. So we go in, and honestly, I didn't know what we were doing there, because Megan is just a little cute two-year-old. She would always wear these beautiful little purple frilly dresses. You know, she's just twirling. Jane and I just walk in, and I I was embarrassed, Eloise, because I, I, I was like, I can't afford to buy this house. And then Jane starts talking to the real estate agent. And the real estate agent said, this would be a good home, four bedrooms four kids. I just look at Jane. She did not like that. The real estate agent's name was, uh, man, I drew a blank. Keiko. Oh my goodness. And in that moment, we made a connection with Keiko. And then Keiko, we were honest with her. We said, Keiko, we're just looking. We're renting in the neighborhood and we just wanted to see the house and just look inside because it was all renovated. And Keiko said, Why don't you buy it? I said, I'd love to buy it, I just can't afford it. she said, well, you know that there's down payment assistance programs to help you buy a house. I had never heard of those programs. Because of that one little meeting with Keiko, it allowed us to buy 106 Mayland Court, which 106 Mayland Court has not only funded our ministry, but also was a place where we brought two of our children home from the hospital. We also, in during COVID, baptized my son Austin in the backyard. It was that home that we were able to bless ministries. We were able to do so much out of that home. But it all started because of a destiny decision. To take the next step, even though we didn't have money, even though we didn't know the ripple effect. You see, destiny decisions are powerful. And we're about to read about a destiny decision. Because some of you are about to make a destiny decision, but its ripple effect is going to be bad. And I want us to look at it. Your Bibles are open at Genesis chapter number 13. Out of respect for the word of God, would you stand, please, as we read the scripture? Verse number one says, Then Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan that was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. I want you to catch verse 12. He pitched his tent where, church? He's not in Sodom. He just pitched a tent around it. I want you to notice We just saw a destiny decision. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. We don't have time, but in chapter 14, Lot is captured and Abram saves him. And in chapter 14, verse 12, it says, they also took Lot, Abram's brother, son, who dwelt in Sodom. One chapter later, he started... His tent was just pitched towards Sodom. The next chapter, it says he's in Sodom. And before you sit down, let me give you this. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And who's sitting there? Lot. But where is he sitting? He's sitting in the gate of Sodom. Gate is where commerce commerce, and politics happened. Many scholars believe that Lot at this time is now the mayor of Sodom. A destiny decision. God, would you bless the reading of your word. Thank you for standing. God bless you. You may be seated. Sodom represents so much even today in our culture. We've derived a word from the city of Sodom. Because Sodom has a spirit that lives on even today. The city's long gone, but the spirit of Sodom still lives on. And here you had Lot, the nephew of Abram, who had followed Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, Genesis chapter number 12. He's following Abram, who Abram was called by God to go find a city whose builder and maker is God. Lot says, I'm going to follow you. So Lot made a good decision. I'm going to follow Abram. And I'm going to go where he goes. And because of that decision, Lot is blessed. We see the amount of blessing he has at the beginning of the chapter. He had so much cattle, so many servants and herdsmen that they couldn't dwell together. There was just too much. And in that society, when you're nomadic and you have cattle, you can't overgraze the land. Otherwise, it'll just be worthless for the next couple of years. So they had to separate. And Abram, being a good uncle, lets Lot choose first. But we see that Lot made a choice. He made a defining destiny decision. And we're going to see how that decision plays out this morning. Because some of you do not realize the decisions you are making are going to have a ripple effect. And some of us are just ignorant to what could happen because of the decisions that we are making. You see, no one ever drifted to their destiny, no one has ever coasted to their calling or passively fulfilled their purpose. Famous coach Vince Lombardi said, no one fell their way to the top. Some of us think that we're going to get to our desired destiny by drifting. Author and speaker, her name is Christine Kane, said, All that it takes to drift is to do nothing. And that could be you this morning. You're just drifting along. Just going with the flow. You just want to glide with the tide of culture. And yet you're missing out that there's a destiny decision. And this destiny decision is going to have a ripple effect. For lack of time, I want to show you where Lot's life ends In chapter 19, verse 36, Sodom and Gomorrah has been destroyed. Lot's wife looks back at the city as it's being destroyed, turns into a pillar of salt. She dies. And then we see that Lot goes to a city, a town called Zoar. He doesn't want to stay in the town, so he moves into a cave. He has his two daughters, and that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 19, verse 36. It says this, Thus, Both of the daughters were with child by their father. He has an incestuous relationship with his daughters. Verse 37 says, the firstborn son, firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. Verse 38, and the younger, she also bore a son and called his name ben Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. Both were tribes, both were groups of nations that forever harassed the children of Israel. You see, what started as a day in the life of Abram and Lot looking out, saying, "Where where are we gonna raise our cattle? Ended up his life, Become an incestuous relationship with his own daughters in a cave, in shame. How did it get there? Because life is all about decisions. If you're taking notes, write this down. I know you've heard it before, but I'm going to say it again. You get to make your decisions, and then your decisions make you. He was made by his decisions. He thought, I'm just going to go pick a well-watered plain. And it's going to be okay. I'm going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. And that's what he does, doesn't he? Because Abram says, hey, if you go left, I go right. If you go right, I'll go left. And what does Lot decide? But he didn't just end up there. He drifted there. We saw the downward progression. At first, he said, I'm just going to pitch my tent near Sodom. And then he gets a little bit closer, and finally he's in Sodom. And then, hey, there's an election. Why don't I just be the mayor? As the mayor, maybe he thought, I can change things. I can fix things. I can clean things up. Obviously, he didn't because the city was so wicked. God said, I'm going to send fire from heaven, and I'm just going to get rid of the entire city. And some of us, maybe you're thinking, wow, I don't like this Old Testament God. He just took out a people group. He just wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah for some sins. I see the merciful hand of God here. You say, what do you mean the merciful hand of God? Are you you so insensitive? No, I'm not. Because God already rescued Sodom and Gomorrah before. In chapter 14, there were five kings that came against Sodom and Gomorrah. And those five kings even captured Lot. Lot. And they took them away. They took everything, their wealth, and they were going to slaughter them and imprison them. But who saved the kings of Sodom? Abram does. With 300 of his servants. They ride in and they rescue Lot and the kings. And then the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah want to give Lot some money. And he says, no, 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 no. I won't even take a shoe latchet from you. Because I don't want people to say that the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah made Abram rich. He said, no, 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 God is my source. Man is not my source. I don't want a reward. That's God's mercy. God could have allowed in that moment for the people to be destroyed. You need to understand, church, God is long-suffering, meaning that he gives us a lot of patience. Right there is called a second chance. And praise God that he gives us a second chance. Each and every one of us have made a bad decision that God gave us a second chance. So don't think when God rained down fire from heaven that, man, why didn't God just give him another chance? He did in chapter 14. And then in chapter 18, he was gonna give him another chance because God tells Abram what he's about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. And for some of you Bible scholars, you know what Abram said. Hey, if there's 50 righteous, you're gonna destroy it? And God says, no. And then he says, what about 40 righteous? Will you destroy it? No. Abram gets it down to 10. If I can find 10 righteous people in Sodom Gomorrah, will you spare the city? And God says, yes. I'm telling you, God is not out to judge people. But God will not be mocked. But the story here is that you and I are making decisions. You see, it started with Lot. First turned into longing. The longing turned into love. And once you love something, it's hard to leave something. Have you ever heard someone say that, man, I I, I just I just can't leave it. I just love it too much. That's what happened. Lot fell in love with something he never should have fallen in love with. Some of us have fallen in love with some things that God does not want us to be in love with. This is where Proverbs says guard your heart. And some of us are falling in love with some things that God is saying, that's not for you. I have not given that to you. And you're making decisions out of a love. My brother makes this statement. He says, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. And some of us are making very poor decisions. And we wonder why our life is not having the outcome we want because some of your decisions are destiny decisions and you are not aware that God wants to do something amazing, and you're just letting this pivotal moment that's gonna have a ripple effect on everything and everyone around you. And Lot never thought, I'm gonna lose my wife by this decision. He was making a financial decision, was he not? It was all about finances. He said it's a well-watered plain. He's a herdsman. So he's making a financial decision, not a spiritual decision. You know how many Christians are making financial decisions and not decisions nowadays? And I'm all about making wise financial decisions, but your financial decisions do not come first. They submit to the spiritual decision. I'm glad one person agrees. Okay, there we go. I'll take it. Pity applause. It's too late. Don't join in later. You're just a bandwagon person. I could see everybody up here. It doesn't work after that. So what ends up happening is instead of us getting on board and saying, Lord, I want to make the right decisions, we're missing out. Why? Because we're focused on what we desire. I want more money. Some of us are blinded by what we want so much, we'll make very poor decisions. Oh, I just got to be with that person. If I could just be with that person, I would be happy. And we're not happy. Oh, if I could just have that career, I'd be happy. And we're not happy. You and I need to first say, is this a decision that God wants for me? Is this what he desires for me? But notice, verse number 10, I want to pull something up here. And we're going to work this thing a little bit before we get going. Is that okay, church? All right. Verse 10. The Bible says, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw, and and just mark that for a second. He saw something. If you were to go to Genesis chapter number three, Eve saw the fruit that it was able to make one wise. It starts with the lust of the eyes. What are you seeing? You're seeing that career. and You're like, that looks good. You have no idea if that's good. Oh, man, he looks great. You have no idea if he's great. Oh, she looks great. You have no idea if she looks great. Oh, man, that just looks so good. Don't trust these, my friend. Matter of fact, touch your neighbor and say, hey, don't trust your eyes. Don't trust your eyes. Your eyes will deceive you. They will trick you. Lot was focused on this. What are we as Christians, as believers, supposed to be focused on? Do we walk by sight? No. We walk by faith. Because some of you are missing out on some of God's greatest blessings because you're like, it doesn't look very good. I have never enjoyed casseroles. Never. If you make me a casserole, I will throw it at you. Do not make me a casserole. Because I grew up, and sorry mom if you're watching, my mom would make these casseroles that were disgusting. Disgusting. She would take whatever and and I'm sorry, just because you have it in the pantry does not mean it needs to go in the pot and you stick it in the oven and you feed it to human beings. But my mom was like, yeah, just throw it in a pot, cook it up, and then call it a casserole and it's edible. No, it's not. So when Jane and I got married, I would say, I don't eat casseroles. So she would make these delicious meals. I was like, wow, this is so good. This is so, so good. It tastes so good. She would just serve it to me. And she was like, do you like that? I was like, I love it. This is so good. She's like, it's a casserole. Ugh. I was like, you tricked me. Deceiver. Get behind me, Satan. Because if I see something, I might say no to something. And some of you are saying no to something just because it doesn't list with what looks good. If it doesn't look good, we don't want it. Come on, parents. Talk to me. You know, your children, whatever you serve them, if it don't look good they don't want to eat it, do they? I could say this to Christians. If it doesn't look good to you, you're like, I don't want it. If that cross isn't bedazzled and have some foam padding to it, you don't want to carry it. But God is saying it's a cross. It has splinters. It's rough. It's hard. Carry it. But you and I are walking by sight and not by faith, and we're missing out, and it's going to end up destroying us. But let's continue on. He said, hey, he's looking at something. All the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord. That's how beautiful it was. But then something interesting. he says, also, not just like the garden of the Lord, it says, let's put it up on the screen, verse number 10, what country is that? There we go. There we go. We will do an English grammar course uh, Monday through Friday, and we will be hooked on phonics. Brought to you by homeschooler. That's Egypt. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be so passive aggressive this morning. I didn't get a lot of sleep, and so if I'm salty this morning, just bear with me, okay? Just a little salty. All right. He said, that's exactly right. Been eating casseroles. Lot like Sodom because it was a lot like Egypt. Now, let me take you on a little journey. Egypt always represents not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of man. It represents slavery. It represents bondage. It represents worldliness. It represents anything that is not godly, but ungodly. And why did Lot like Sodom? Because it reminded him of Egypt. But here's the thing, who, who took him to Egypt? Was he ever supposed to be in Egypt? Abram took him to Egypt in chapter 12, and God rebuked Abram said, why did you go to Egypt? You weren't supposed to go to Egypt. You're supposed to trust me as your source and not Egypt as your source. There was a famine, and you went down there. And Abram, that was a defining moment because, get this, write this down, church. Get this, you and I are going to be tied to something. In that moment, Lot was exposed to something that enslaved him. This is why I'm very careful with parents what we let our children watch. We are exposing them to something that could one day enslave them. This is what's so critical about our schools, where we say, why are our schools showing little kids books of graphic images? They're wanting to expose them to something that's going to enslave them. Let me be transparent with you. I remember the first time I viewed pornography. I can still remember it to this day. It burned an image in my mind. Something that I was exposed to enslaved me. Work with me, church. Come on. Sunday morning. You know it. Some of us have been exposed to things that then come back and they bind us. And yet, God does not want you tied. He wants you tied to destiny, not your history. And some of you are tied to your history, not your destiny. God is about forward. God is never about back. You see, Lot said, I want to go back to Egypt, but I can't go back to Egypt because that represents the world. So let me go back to something that's like it. Oh, I used to date a baddie, and I don't want to go to that baddie, but I'm still going to go find a baddie oh man, you know, I used to run with the wrong crowd and I don't want to do that, but let me find the wrong crowd at church. You say, at church? find the wrong crowd? Yeah, don't hang around with pastors, kids. I'm telling you, (laughs) wrong crowd. Just kidding. Isn't that funny? Everywhere we go, we can find something like what we really want. Water seeks its own level. So here, Lot, you say, how did he, what did he do with his destiny decision? He was tied to something, but he wasn't tied to his destiny. Church, I want you tied to your destiny. I want your destiny to pull you into that future that God has for you. I don't want you bound by anything in the past. You see, Lot was bound to the past. He wanted to go back to something. God's not about you going back to a bad relationship. He's about you going forward, and a destiny decision, you know it's a good decision. If it's going to pull you forward, is this going to pull you out of debt or back into debt? You say, but it's a nice car. Yes, is it going to to pull you into debt or out of debt? Oh man, that relationship looks really good. Are they a follower of Christ or are they not a follower of Christ? Oh man, I'm going to move here. Wait a minute, is God leading you there or is it just your own spiritual and financial decisions leading you there? What's guiding you? You see, destiny pulls you. I want you tied to destiny. I don't want you tied to history and some of us are tied to history. That's why you can't break these patterns. Come on, when you're honest, you're saying, I don't know why I always fall for the same type of person. Because you're tied to history. You're not tied to destiny. As the child of God, you are tied to destiny. What is your destiny is a child of God, of the most high God. You are created in his image, the imago Dei. God wants you tied to that future, that hope, that hope that lies within us. God wants you tied to that. But as Christians, we are tying ourselves, these things that are pulling us back. And this morning, you need to pray and say, God, let's cut those ties. What's pulling me back? You see, some of you, you don't want to get on fire for God because you don't want to break those ties. There are ties that somebody abused you in your past, somebody cheated you, slighted you, betrayed you, and you can't cut that tie. And that tie has had you bound to your past. And God is saying, no, break free from that. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. God wants you to be free from those things. See, the battle's behind you. Faith calls you forward, but yet you're enslaved to something that you're exposed to. Let's go back to verse number 11. The Bible says Then Lot chose for himself the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. You know, Lot got a vision of a kingdom and lost sight of the king. Some of you can get a vision for the kingdom and lose sight, of, lose sight of your king. There's the kingdom of this world, and then there's the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you and I are looking at an earthly kingdom, and we need to be heavenly kingdom minded and never lose sight of the king. The king is God. The king is Jesus. Did he go over there and say, I'm going to build an altar. I'm going to go reach them. I'm going to go be a missionary to them. I'm going to go evangelize them. No, no, no. Instead, he's allowing something else to drive him and pull him into something. And Christians, what happened when your life, when your fire, when your your vitality for God and purity and holy things, when that begins to dwindle, it's because you have your eyes on a kingdom and you lost sight of the king. And God says, eyes on me, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of of our faith. And what happens when Christians lose sight of our king? We search for a new kingdom. Why do we have a growing epidemic of people leaving the church? They found a new kingdom, and with it, a new king. The Bible says that the God of this age has blinded them. They found a new king, small g. But we, the believers, the ones that are here, that are saying, no, I don't want to fall into that trap. I don't want to just passively pursue my purpose. God has destiny inside of me. There's something I'm meant to accomplish, and I'm going to fulfill it in my generation. I'm going to have a ripple effect that's not just going to reach my neighbor and my children. It's going to go far in reaching. But I'm not just going to drift into destiny. I'm going to make the decisions that are right. Right? You see, our lives are defined by what we accept, not what we accomplish. We live in the age of acceptance. Have you noticed that? Everybody comes to you, just accept me, just accept me, accept me, accept me. I'll tell you, I love everybody, but I don't accept everyone. I could show you a video of somebody who came in at 4 o'clock in the morning, went onto my patio in front of my house, and started stealing stuff off my porch. I caught it on the camera. He looks at the camera, too. I'm surprised he didn't smile and wave as he was stealing my stuff. Should I just accept that? No. You and I are accepting things that we shouldn't be accepting. You see, you want to live and define your life by accomplishment, and God's like, what are you accepting? Because what you accept sets the standard. Hey, ladies, if you don't like how a man treats you, it's because you are accepting a standard of how you're going to be treated. Hey, guys, you don't like the type of women that are around you. It's because you're accepting a certain type. Because what you accept, that sets the standard. What we accept as a church sets a standard. So we don't want to accept sin. We want the Savior. We want to choose godliness and righteousness and holiness. That's our standard. And yet the church is all about, oh, let's just accept. Wait a minute. Hold on. Let's stop for a second. Because what I start accepting sets a standard. This is why I'm careful about the things I watch, the things that I eat, the things that I drink, the things that I say, because it sets a standard. And I'm called to a higher standard. You as a born-again child of God are called to a higher standard. Are you not? Talk to me, church. Are you not called to a higher standard? You don't actually believe that. Don't lie. Don't lie. I don't need to see you Monday through Friday. I can go to your neighbor and say, hey... Do they set the standard? What's the standard? When your tire breaks down? When you run out of gas? When you need money? Are they there? Is your neighbor there? You're setting a standard. Are you the first one to help and serve? Are you the first one when somebody says, we need to change the city? Are you the first one to say, yes, let's set a new standard? Or are you just simply saying, I hope somebody else sets a standard? Because I'll tell you this, you love standards, because you've gone into a restaurant with low standards, have you not? You walk in. You see the waiter, you look at their fingernails, you look at their hands, no. You have higher standards with your food than you do with your spirituality. The things that you would never dare put in your mouth but the things that you put in your mind and in your heart, the filth that we allow in, you would never allow that in your mouth. You would never allow it in your child's mouth. Come on, fat-free, gluten-free, healthy garbage stuff that we feed our kids. We want them to live forever. It's funny that we want them to live forever, and then we're like, oh, whose idea was it to have kids? (laughs) Don't serve them healthy food. (laughs) Isn't it ironic that we're more careful about what we put in our mouth than what we put in our hearts? You will sit there and watch garbage on TV for hours after hour after hour. Job said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eye. But we just take it in. We just listen to it. We don't set a standard. You say, oh man, I think you're getting on a rabbit trail. Hey, every once in a while, that's okay. The church is called to a higher standard, and culture is looking for that standard, and we as the body of Christ, you say, no, we're going to come back to that standard because we live in the age of acceptance, and what, who, who made whatever is telling you to accept acceptable? Who's the standard of what is acceptable? Because God sets a standard, and God tells me what's acceptable. And if God said this is not acceptable, then it's not acceptable. It's binary. It's black and white. But yet we got Christians that they want to argue and pontificate about things, whether God really said it. Never once opening up the Bible, never once saying, God, what does your word have to say about this thing? You see, God is calling us to make decisions, and we need to make decisions guided by this book. And let this book be the definer. And let this book be the arbiter. And let this book be the one that guides us. But notice what happens. Let's go back to verse number 14. We saw earlier in verse number 10 that Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. His decision was made off of what he could see. Let's go to verse number 14, and let's see if we could pick up a subtle difference between Lot and Abram. Let's look at it on the screen. Verse number 14. They also took Lot, Abram's brother, I'm sorry, chapter 13. Go to chapter 13. And go to verse 14. Chapter 13, verse 14. Can you pull it up on the screen, please? It's under point number four. I need you to see it. Here we go. And the Lord, what's the next word? That's all you and I need right there. That's, that's it. We could close up our Bibles right now. If you will grab a hold of that thing right there. Who said it? That's it. One was led... By what they could see, the other was led by what God said. Come on, which one's better, church? Said. What God said. We need to get back to what did God say? What did God say to me? And this is what I want to tell you. When you have a decision to make and husbands and wives, when you're talking to each other and saying, hey, should we do this? Should we do that? I need you to say, hey, what is God saying to you? What's God saying to you? Stop doing this, that, oh, we can make more money. We can save money. This might be good for the kids. Hey, it might be good for our finances. Hey, it feels right. How about let's go back to what did God say about it? Because God will guide you into all truth. God will lead you if you will let him. But you're not even giving God an option to even speak into that matter in your life. And you're wondering why you have regretted the decisions you've made. God always shows mercy. But how about what if you went to God first? I've made many decisions in my life, and I've come back to people and said, man, I royally messed up. And they said, "Makai, why don't you just ask me? I could have helped you. You know, God was looking down and saying, why don't you ask me? I want to help you. And yet you and I think, well, God, if you're all powerful, just help me anyway. No, you would never learn. You would never learn to ask for help. You would never learn that God is the one that I depend on. He's the one that I need. You see, you need a guide, not just guidance. And some of us... All that we do on Sundays is you're just here for some guidance, and I want you to get off of that type of Christianity that is regurgitated Christianity. That I devour this word all throughout the week, and then, like a mother bird, chew it up and spit it in your mouth. And let me get graphic for a minute because you won't touch this word, and you're expecting me to give you guidance when I want to give you and introduce you to the guide. It's okay that you need a little guidance, but how about you meet the guide? How about you meet the one who wants to guide you? The one that wants to be with you? The one that wants to lead you? The one that wants to be there with you? I can't always be there. I will not always be there. I need to teach my children, my three children, Megan, Austin, and Kane. I need to teach them that there is a guide not just guidance. God wants to be your guide in this season. There is so much coming at you, parents. There's so much coming at you, young man. There's so much coming at you, young woman. There's so much coming at you, grandparents, that you need the guide. Stop looking for guidance. Stop talking to Oprah. Stop looking at your magazines, the horoscope, rubbing crystals together. How about you say I need a guide. Where's the guide right now? And get on your knees and say, God, just guide me. Show me your will. And God's like, oh, buddy, stand back. I'm about to do some stuff in your life. Because God pours out his blessings. Notice what God said. And the Bible says this in verse number 14 to chapter 13. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, he said, lift up your eyes. Hey, sometimes God does let you see it. And he said, Look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give to you. We missed these details, but I want to go back. And earlier, Lot said, I'm going to take the plains of Jordan. And the Bible says that was east. Hold up a second. God just covered the compass with Abram. He said, I'm going to give you north, I'm going to give you south. I'm going to give you west. What also has God given him? He gave him the east anyway. God reserves the best for those who leave the choice with him. You are thinking you're missing out, and God is saying, you are not missing out. Leave the choice to me. Leave the decision to me, and I will show you that I can give it to you. God gave him all the land of Jordan. That land is by the Dead Sea. That's in Israel. Israel got it all. That was Abram's land. He gets it all. Church, you and I feel like we're getting cheated, but I'm telling you, when you and I say, I'm not going to be led by what I can see, I'm going to be led by what God has said. It all comes back to right voices lead to right choices. And Abram had realized that he could trust God. He realized that God's been faithful. He's guided me. There's a passage that is the exact opposite of this passage. It's found in Psalms chapter number one. Because here we see a digression, a regression. But in Psalms chapter number one, we see something that God writes and it sums up everything we've just covered. Psalms one, the Bible says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night and he shall be planted like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he does shall prosper. When you and I say, God, I'm going to do it your way. God says, I will prosper you. God says, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will be your source. What happened to Lot? Did he prosper? Yes or no? What happened to Abraham? He prospered. Because he said, God, I'm going to leave the decision with you. This morning, you need revelation, not information. You need God to reveal the secrets and the truth to you about what you should do, where you should go, how you should live. You need to seek the word of God, not man's words. Don't come up to me afterward and ask my advice. Go to God on this thing. Say, Lord, what should we do? You see some of you. You're experiencing death by drift because you're just drifting in your life. I'm here to call that out by the authority of God. I'm here to call you back from that. Come on, break those ties. Come out of that. Come out of that. That's time to be broken off of you. It's time to say, no, no, no. Let's cut those ties to culture. Let's cut those ties to the world. Let's cut those ties that are holding me bound. I'm called to walk in freedom in Christ. There was a miracle that Jesus did when he raised up Lazarus from the tomb. The Bible says that Lazarus came out and then the Bible says that Jesus said, loose him and let him go. He had life but he did not have liberty. And some of you have been born again. You have life, but you have no liberty. You came in bound this morning. Your heart is heavy this morning. You feel all the guilt and shame. I just heard Pastor Mike say, fellowship is what's been broken, not relationship. You can't break your relationship with God. That's sealed. You're in the palm of His hand. He's got you. That's John 10, 28. Nothing can pull you out of His grip. But fellowship can't be broken some of you stay away from church you stay away from this word you stay away from spiritual conversation you stay away from life group because you know fellowship's been broken there's those times in my relationship with my children or with friends or with family even with my spouse where i know i'm married i know i'm in relationship i just don't have fellowship you see them and you're just embarrassed to talk to them they walk by you don't know what to say it's awkward God does not want you to come to church feeling awkward with your relationship to God. We're singing that he is worthy and you're just like, I know he is, but the guilt and the shame has got me bound. Confess and forsake that because God has called you to destiny decisions and you can have a profound ripple effect, but it's not gonna happen because you drift because no one ever drifted to a desired destination. And shared this story because it's always been too personal. because I've always wondered how can a person who started out so high fall so far? And it's always harder when it's somebody very close to you. I'm going through something right now that I carry. It started several years ago. and it's a thing that I've just carried and I just it's just it's just a burden. Jane knows it, few people know it, not many. It weighs heavy on my heart. And sometimes it's overwhelming because I think of the pain. Because I never thought this would happen to someone so close to me. How they could be somebody that I almost idolize, and that's a strong word, that somebody I've always looked up to, somebody that I considered a friend, a mentor, someone that was actually my own family that I would follow their footsteps, that I would want to be like them, emulate them. Who was a pastor, a leader. The Bible college I went to, they have a trophy. And in that room, you can look at the trophy and every year for four consecutive years, the person that won the preacher boy trophy, it has his name on it. Gifted pastor. Talented. An amazing person and then I discovered the depth of depravity that one person could fall into and it broke my heart. I'm saying, how did that happen? How does somebody so high fall so far because i guarantee you they didn't look at their life when they were saying their wedding vows that now they've broken multiple times and now they've lost their spouse losing their family how does it happen how could that happen on that day in december 2004 when they stood there said for uh better or worse till death do us part how when they made that decision how in that moment could they look back and say you know what one day i'm gonna get into the biggest nastiest gross toxic mess it's gonna be horrible it's gonna tear apart my family it's gonna ruin my ministry it's gonna destroy my name it's gonna make me have to move i'm gonna lose everything You see, destiny is staring you in the face and you are about to make a decision and you need to step back and say, this decision is a defining destiny decision and my whole life is going to be affected by it. And if you don't consider the cost that, wait a minute, what is this decision doing? Because some of you think church is a game, Christianity is a game, God is a game, and you need to say, wait a minute, if it is a game, if it's all just a game, what are we doing? And I don't think that person realized that one day that they were going to lose all that and destroy it. Because nobody ever sets out that way. No one sitting here one day is going to want to ruin their life. In almost 10 years of ministry, our church has had over 15,000 contacts come through our ministry. And I've seen so many lives that have done great and I've seen so many just destroyed. And it started because there was a defining moment and they didn't see how big it was. And this is a moment that God is calling the church to say, hey, this is destiny. You can't drift to this thing. You can't coast to this thing. You can't go haphazard at this thing. I don't care what age stage you're at. It's time that we say, God, I'm going to listen to what you said about this thing. Because we're making decisions that we are now setting a standard. The average Christian goes to church twice a month. Some of us, we're lucky if we go once a month. Why is it that that's the new standard? Sunday used to be the Lord's day. Culture knew it. Everybody knew it. And now we're begging Christians to come to church. We just used to know certain things, but now we've just lost sight of them. And it's time we say, Lord, I'm not going to drift. I'm not going to coast. I'm going to listen to what you said. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? I want to pray for you, church. And then I want to ask you to do something Pastor Mike taught us at the retreat. He said, stop asking your pastor to pray for you and you start praying for you. So I'm going to pray for you. And then I want you to pray for you. I want you to say, God, am I drifting into stuff that is going to mess me up? Or am I making a destined decision that, man, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do something. And you make that decision. I'm going to pray for you then we're going to have just a moment of quiet and stillness and you take and you pray for you heavenly father god now is the hour where christians need to decide are they truly christian is this thing real is it a game am i just going to live for whatever i can see that looks good or am i going to make the decision to do what you've said And so I pray for a church that we are a church that simply says, God, whatever you say to me, I'm going to do it. It doesn't have to look good. It doesn't have to make me feel good. But I want to please you, and I'm going to do it. And so, Father, I just pray that we would have a church that has a renewed vision and passion to be obedient to you as we are making destiny decisions. Right now, church, we're just going to have a moment of stillness. I just want you to right there, just pray. Just say, God, I need to hear from you. As the pianist softly plays, would you pray? Maybe you're there, you say, I don't know how to pray. Sometimes the best prayer is, God, help me. And God will show up. So in the stillness, let's humble ourselves before God. God, sometimes the silence is deafening because we come to you knowing that we haven't talked to you in so long, and our heart has drifted so far. But God, right now, would you draw close to us? Would you call back the prodigal? Would you call back the one that's merely in church out of performance? Would you call us back to a revived state of being? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. If this message inspired you and helped you, we would love for you to hit like, subscribe, or share it with someone today. Until next time, have a great day.